Before I get into our message, let me, let me pray for us this morning. God, I thank you for this season of Advent, for this season of waiting. Um, and as we were reminded during the kids' sermon, Lord, that we're all waiting for something, uh, whether it's Christmas or a prayer to be answered um, or for you to show up in a way that we just have maybe lost hope in. God, this morning, won't you remind us that you are good, you are ever-present, and though we wait, we wait with you. We don't wait on our own. We don't wait in isolation. We don't wait uh, hopeless. We wait with hope because you are with us. And so, Holy Spirit, God, remind us this morning that your nearness is, is, is you're, you're just always accessible to us. So even if we feel hopeless, that we can bring those things to you. So God, I just pray that you would open up this word for us this morning um, to help us prepare uh, well for you uh, this Advent season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, we are about a week into Advent, right? This is now our, our second Sunday uh, of Advent. And so uh, I mentioned that some of us might have faltered a little bit during this first week uh, of the fast. And I, I feel like, you know, the beginning of, of the Advent fast is exciting, right? It's like, oh, everyone's kind of doing this thing together. There's some energy. But after about a week, you're like, how many more days do we have? To, how many more Sundays? How many more candles do we have to light before we get to the end of this road, Right? Uh, I feel this way, so it's totally okay if you do too. And, you know, it's like the lack of caffeine and the lack of sugar. It's starting to grate. I can want my eggs in the morning. just can't have it. Am I right? Anyone with me on this? All right. I'm not, I'm, we're not going to just lament the fast this whole time, I promise. But I, the reason, the reason I, I say this is because it gets around this time where you start looking around. You got, like, coworkers and, like, you know, some of your, your, if you have kids or maybe they're not fasting, they're, like, eating their cookies and right in front of your face. It's like, yeah, right, yeah, Bryce, you, you seem like you would do that. So, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, so it, it's hard, right? We, we, we can look around and be like, what is all this abstaining for? Like, why are we doing this? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to, to hold back like this? Why are we doing this? And some of us might be feeling like, where are my immediate results? I've been fasting for a week. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Right? Or like, why am I not losing weight at least? Right? And so, to, to a larger degree, uh, we're going to be reading uh, in the book of Malachi this morning. In the time of the prophet Malachi, they were feeling this exponentially more than, than, we, than we are. Because they've been waiting for a long, long time. They've been waiting through prophets promising that God would come and restore Israel and would restore Jerusalem. And they don't think they're seeing any results. They don't feel like God's showing up for them. They're looking around and saying things like, man, these sinners all around us, they're getting away with murder here. Where's God? They're looking around saying, where's the God of justice? He's just too nice. He doesn't care to intervene with all this injustice going around around us. And so that's maybe where some of their mindsets were. And so our passage this morning, it's just a few verses represent God's response to the Israelites' indictments that God is nowhere to be seen. So if you will turn with me to the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament, if that's helpful, if you're looking at a physical Bible. We're going to turn to chapter 3, and we're going to read from verses 1 through 4 this morning. So if, if, uh, if you're able to, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? All right, again, this is Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant 
whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's, he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. This is the word of God. You may have your seats. Okay, so the, uh, the book of Malachi was written whoa, to uh, the, the Jewish diaspora at that point. Now, they were scattered, and this is during the Persian Empire. So this is after the Babylonian exile, and the new sort of superpower, uh, the Persian, I think, media, Medes, kingdom, has conquered Babylon, has basically taken over their territory. And when they've come across the Israelites, they basically tell them, it's okay, you can, you can go back home now. You can return to your homeland. And they were left, for the most part, to kind of do their own thing. Uh, the Persians let them worship more or less the way they wanted. They just kind of left them alone. Now, this is great news, right? They get to go home. But with the Israelites, fine, it's just not the same as it used to be. They're pretty beaten down at this point. After exile, after being separated, their land taken from them. Everything that they know really has been kind of broken down around them. And you get some more detail of this if you read the book of Nehemiah in terms of kind of what the state of of the land was like. Now, uh, if you think about it, if, if you're the Persians, right, and you have all this power, why would you just let them go back and do their own thing? It's probably because you viewed them as non-threatening, right? It's like, why not just throw these folks a bone? They've been through a lot. Just let them worship the way they want. Because they didn't perceive them as any sort of threat to their kingdom, right? They didn't think the Israelites were going to be able to do any sort of meaningful uprising, present any sort of threat to them. And so this is where God's people find themselves. They are a marginalized people in this vast empire. And they're basically forgotten, right? They're sort of left, at least by the people of this world. The heydays of King David and King Solomon are long gone, right? The, the, the peak of Israel's power during those times feels like a really, really long time ago now to them. And so they're left weary. And there have been prophets after prophet after prophet telling them God's going to make it right again. But they're not seeing it. They're not feeling those results. And so they're losing hope. They've grown weary. They're tired. They're exhausted, And as a result, their worship became weak, and it became defiled. And that's the picture we see in the book of Malachi. In sharing God's response in this passage, Malachi is warning the Israelites. He warned them that the Messiah was coming to judge and to purify God's faithful. The Israelites were asking where the God of justice was and why their enemies were just getting away with so much. And God's response was to call out their unrighteousness. It was to call out their impending judgment. And I believe God's message to us is the same this morning in December of 2021. It's easy for us, I think, to look around and blame the government and and corporations for, for the mass amounts of injustice that we see. And indeed, there will be judgment for those institutions. Don't get me wrong. There will be judgment. But God's concern, at least in this passage, is the conduct of his people. And the nature of our worship. That's what God's concerned about here. So this Advent, we need to be prepared for God's judgment and for God's purification as we wait on Jesus' return. 
God's answer to injustice in this world is the church. The church cannot fulfill her mission when her worship is defiled. So the church's worship needs to be judged and purified. We need to be judged and purified. This morning, we're going to discuss two different ways to prepare ourselves during this Advent season. Number one, we'll prepare for judgment by honoring God, by honoring God. Number two, we will prepare for purification by practicing justice. So we'll prepare for judgment by honoring God, and we'll prepare for or purification by practicing justice. So let's first unpack how we will prepare for judgment by honoring God. As I said, the Israelites, they were a marginalized people at this point in this vast Persian empire. God's promises to restore Jerusalem and Israel, these seemed kind of impossible in their context in that time. I mean, after all, things had really kind of gotten worse during the time of the prophets, right? It's not like they were, things were getting better since, since Jeremiah was, was preaching uh, judgment and, and, and then restoration. Their, their country was taken. Their Jerusalem had fallen. A number of them were exiled to Babylon. Those were left behind. Many of them lived in squalor. So it's not as if things have been proved around them. There's foreign customs. There's foreign gods. There's foreign cultural practices all around them that are threatening their way of life. And in this context is where we see the priests are dishonoring God by bringing lesser, unlawful sacrifices. Now, what did that mean? For the sacrifices, they were supposed to bring these perfect animals, right? But what they started doing, they bring these injured animals, diseased animals, things are just not up to snuff. Malachi uh, 1.8, this is God's response. He says, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Essentially, the Israelites' defiled worship reflected their attitude toward God, right? They didn't fear God anymore because their trust had been so shaken by their circumstances. And they'd grown impatient with waiting. They're tired of waiting, as I've been saying, because they didn't think God was showing up for them. They didn't see it happening in their day-to-day lives. Worse, I would say, they become accustomed to like a domesticated kind of worship. You know what I'm talking about? They started going through the motions of worshiping God, but their hearts were, were, were somewhere else. As Eugene Peterson puts it, Malachi creates a crisis when they were unaware of crisis. Malachi saying, wake up. Wake up. You think God stopped listening, but here's his response. He says, I'm coming. You better be careful what you wish for. When I come, you ask, where's the God of justice? I'm coming, but you may not like it. I'm coming with judgment. I'm coming with fire. I'm coming into the temple to make good on my covenant. But are you ready for me? Are you ready for me? The proper response, and the right one, I would say, for the priest at this point was to get scared. Right? You know, they're probably looking at the robes like, oh my gosh, I gotta go to the dry cleaner now. I gotta get this, these stains out of this. I gotta find those perfect animals in the flock. Let's put those diseased ones aside because God actually is paying attention, isn't he? In other words, it's time for those priests to check themselves. Now fear, fear is an appropriate response, but God is merciful, amen? God is merciful. So even in judgment, God gives us time. And he gives us room to repent and to turn back. 
In this passage, God's judgment comes in the form of a messenger. His mercy is in the form of a messenger. Verse 1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now, according to one uh, commentary, the notion of a messenger is, is of, uh, this is an Eastern custom of sending messengers before a coming king. So if a, if a king is going to come visit, they send these messengers ahead. And what are they doing? They're, they're not only kind of saying, hey, the king's coming, but they're also literally carving a path out. They didn't have like interstates, right? So they're, they're making, physically making, literally making a way for this king to come. Now, Malachi's name means my messenger. And in the New Testament, as we learned, John the Baptist from the kid's sermon, if you were paying attention, the kid's sermon, John the Baptist was his promised messenger that came before Jesus, right? What did he do? He, he, he paved the way. He preached repentance. And he softened the hearts of those who, who would listen before Jesus' coming. So in essence, really, God sent two messengers about 400 years apart. He sent Malachi. And then he sent John the Baptist. And all, all in the effort to, to make that way, to pave that road, that path for Jesus. Now, the Israelites complained that God was silent for too long. I mean, 400 years is a long time. But perhaps it was actually God's patience that was at work in those hundreds of years. Maybe it was God giving us time, giving his people time to be ready, to have our paths cleared. Because people weren't ready for him. I mean, you could argue they weren't really ready when Jesus came, but, but they definitely probably weren't ready at that point, right? It's like the, it's like the uh, old adage, when the cat is away, uh, the mice will play. So when I was a kid, um, I wasn't allowed to watch TV uh, during the week, okay? I'm Korean. It's probably pretty normal. Maybe this resonates with some of you. So I wasn't allowed to watch TV during, during the week. But my, I was a latchkey kid from about middle school on, right? So my, both my parents worked. So when I got home, most days I would do my homework first, and then I would turn the TV on, right? Watching like Simpsons, Seinfeld, stuff I probably shouldn't have been watching when I was like 11 years old. But that's what I was watching. And so my parents' living room, uh, there's these big windows, right? Um, and so what I would do is I would watch for their car, see if like there's headlights coming down. But once I see them, like, oh, they're slowing down, I turn the TV off real quick, right? Thinking I'm all sly, no one noticed that I was watching TV. Well, my parents aren't blind. They probably saw that I was like, this is, you know, there's big windows, right? It works both ways. They could see what's going on inside. So while I deluded myself that they couldn't see, this is, I would argue, this is what the Israelites were doing. They, they thought God wasn't paying attention. So they turn the TV off real quick. They thought they could act however they wanted just because the Messiah hadn't shown up yet. They thought God wasn't paying attention and didn't notice all this injustice that was going on. But instead of bringing that stuff to God, bringing that stuff in prayer, in, in, in praise and in worship, bringing their concerns like we see in the Psalms, they just grumble and complain and, and maybe just trying to make the best of their situation, right? Just trying to survive. And that, that makes sense. But they were basically like sneaking TV like I was because they thought God wasn't noticing. Now, if I was God, I wouldn't have this patience and mercy to send a message or just show up and, right? Judgment, judgment, judgment. But that's not what God does, right? God's judgment always comes with mercy and grace. I think it's because God empathized. He saw what his people were going through. We see many times, particularly in the Old Testament, of God remembering his people, right? God sees, God knows, not just the, like, objectively what's happening, but what's going on in the hearts of his people, how down they are, how, how, how desperate they were feeling. And so he empathized. And I think that's where, and that's why God gives us so much mercy, because he loves us. 
Now, God can't be hurried. And I loved what, what Valerie did, right? God's always right on time. God can't be hurried. But he did send encouragement in the form of the prophets, right, throughout that time. And it's not as if God was silent. He, he was sending prophet after prophet after prophet saying, I'm coming, hold on, I'm coming. I will be there. And, and some of God's prophecies, they came true. God said, hey, Babylon's going to get judged, and boy, it, it got judged, right? Babylon crashed pretty hard. So God was not silent in that time, but what they would choose to remember were just the things that maybe it's easy to forget what God has shown up to do when we just focus on the thing that we didn't get yet. And so, that, so then what does it look like for us to prepare for God's judgment? And this is, I think, where the rubber sort of meets the road. How do we clear the path for Jesus' return? I say it's, it's by honoring God. And there's a few different ways I'm going to talk about that we can do this. We honor God. Uh, last week, if you remember, before our, our, the testimonies were shared, Pastor Michelle gave us a really healthy and helpful reminder of remembering when God's shown up for us in those small moments. Those times when, when, when God shows up and you, you like, thank you, God, and you sort of move on with your day, those moments. It's really helpful to, to stop and to, and, to re- and to remember those times. Because that's how our faith grows. That's how we honor God. We remember God for the ways he's always showing up for us in those small ways. It's not just the big prayers. It's the small ones, too. When God just, it's like the smallest thing sometimes, but, but we, we so quickly forget them. So in remembering those and giving thanks, that's how we can honor God. Another way we honor God is by revering God. And this is really important because we see in our passage that the priests, they stopped revering God. They stopped fearing him. And so what did they do? They started bringing these lame sacrifices because they think God doesn't, it's not going to do anything. I'm going to bring these sacrifices. It's not going to make any difference. But what does God say in the, in, in the um, passage I read? He says, you wouldn't dare bring this stuff to a government official, right? Why wouldn't they? Because then there are those consequences. You bring a terrible uh, gift to, you know, J.B. Pritzker or whatever, <laughs> it's probably not going to go well for you. Right? So you would never dare to do that. You would dress up correctly. You would, you would show up and, and do the part. Right? You wouldn't just flippantly do things in front of somebody who has that much authority. So why are they doing that to God? So for us, we need to honor God by revering God and by recognizing his holiness. In verse 1 of our passage, uh, the, the passage says, The Lord you are seeking will come. Now that word Lord translates as like a supervisor or a master, someone who has authority. So in other words, like the boss is coming, right? The boss is coming. So he, he commands that respect. He commands reverence. You sit up in your chair when the boss is coming, right? So, so okay, so, so what does it look like then for us to honor and respect God? Uh, again, I'm going to go back to my Korean roots here. Uh, one of the things that stayed with me about honor and respect, being Korean, this is something I was sort of baked into me a lot, of particularly respecting elders, right? I was taught, don't lay down in front of my elders. I don't know if this is like a common thing or just my parents, but it's not supposed to lay down in front of my, my elders, okay? Why? Because it's a sign of disrespect. I'm being sort of, you know, like lazing out, just like my grandfather sitting there. That's, that's not right, according to our culture. The point is to always know when your elders are around, right? And, and, and to act right. Make sure you know who's in the room and act accordingly. Act right. Fix your posture, right? Don't blow bubbles with your bubble gum, that type of thing, okay? So, so I think the way to, for us to practice this with God is to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit, 
You know what I mean when I say that? To practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. So remember that God's always with us, right? So I don't just mean in like that big brother kind of way, like, oh, God's watching a better, you know. And that might be helpful for some of us. But I think the larger point isn't, isn't that. It's, it's that when we practice the habit of knowing that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit is near us, we become more attentive to God, right? We open ourselves up to knowing, oh, wow, God is with me, but in a loving and tender, intimate sort of way, where we can be more open to the Spirit's nudges to hear what God has to say to us. might be things that God's revealing that is going on in our own hearts that we need revealed. It might be things like people that we need to, that need to come to mind for us, people we need to be praying for, people we need to be, uh, maybe who really needs a phone call or a visit or a text message just to know that they're loved, right? By practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to what God has for us. We remember that God is near. And I think this is actually one of the beauties of fasting, particularly when we fast from our screens as we're trying to do during Advent because we're, we're less distracted, right? If we're not every free second popping that phone open, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, but in intentionally not doing that, we become less distracted, and so we give more space for the Holy Spirit to show up. And as we practice the presence of the Holy Spirit, we will start hearing, oh, still start hearing that still small voice, that whisper, right? Like, oh, what does God have for me here? Who is God bringing to mind while I take a walk without headphones in? You know, who, who needs that prayer? Who needs that, that phone call? Some examples of folks who could use it, maybe uh, there's prayer requests from your Bible study small group, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I can be praying for, for those requests. And then maybe following up with a text message. Uh, it could be friends, classmates, uh, family members who don't know Jesus who you could be praying for, right? Setting aside time. We can always be praying for our city, as we did this morning. We can always be praying kids. We can always be praying for our teachers and other grown-ups in our, in our schools. They definitely, that's a hard job, teacher, teaching and, and just being in schools around children all the time in general. We'd be praying for our teachers and other grown-ups in our schools. We honor and we worship God when we take time and we make space to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we create uh, room for God to prepare us for judgment by honoring God and practicing his presence. Okay, so next we're going to talk about preparing ourselves for purification by practicing justice. Verses 2 and 3 of our passage say, He will sit as a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. The picture here is of this really intense, intense cleansing. It's like blazing hot fire to burn away impurities in gold and silver. It's like oxy-clean levels of laundry detergent. Okay, so kids, kids, if you're if you're still with me and still in the room, I know my kids have since left. But if you're with me, what what are some ways that you get your clothes dirty that maybe make your parents upset? What do you spill on your clothes? Dirt. dirt? Okay. What else? Jump into the dirt. Okay. Yeah, that'd be pretty upsetting. Okay, like chocolate. Anyone ever spill like chocolate or juice on themselves? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Dawn, I feel bad for you. <laughs> Yeah, I do. All right, so imagine like the worst stains, right? This is, this is like the intense kind of like wine stains and other stuff. You just, oh, I better throw this thing away. I can't clean it. That's what, I'm, that's what we're talking about, that level of cleanliness. Okay, that's how strong this detergent is. Okay, that's how intense this purification is. It's so intense, in fact, that the scripture says we cannot tolerate it. 
And it's only, in fact, because of God that we can withstand it and that we can live through it. This is an intense level of cleansing. But there's also this picture of caring and craftsmanship here. God isn't just tossing people in the fire just to see what's going to happen. He doesn't do this for fun, right? This is not some sort of, like, strange hobby of God's. What we see here, this is, this is care and intention. So if you, I don't know anything about smelting gold or silver, but, but the language here is of a blacksmith who's just laboring over these materials, like meticulously examining whether there's any impurities left on, on this gold and this silver. So there's a lot of care here. It's a lot of work. And who is God, who is God refining in this passage? We see it's the, it's the Levites, right? And who are the Levites? They're the priestly tribe. That's right. They're the priestly tribe in, the, in, in, the, uh, in Israel. Now, so if you, if you remember, these are actually the same folks who are bringing like, the lame sacrifices, right? God's cleaning the people who are dishonoring him. Why would he do this? Why is God cleaning up and restoring the Levites? It's because they're the priests. And, and, and what do priests do? They're the mediators, right? They're the mediators between God and humans, they're, they're sort of the go-between. They're, they're, they stand in the middle. So when the priests are clean, the people are clean. The priests would bring the uh, sacrifices of atonement on behalf of the people. And so when the priests are dishonoring God, that's also a horrible reflection on the people. And this is why their office will be restored. This is why God restores their office. And this is such good news but it's also, remember, really, really, really brutal to go through this kind of cleansing. The message translation says it's a white hot fire. It's the strongest lye soap at the laundry. And every time I hear the word lie, L-Y-E, uh, I think of Fight Club. Anyone seen this movie? Yeah, okay. Do you remember this scene? Where, okay, Pete's with me. You remember this scene? Uh, it's not really a spoiler. One character dumps a bunch of pure lie Pastor Michelle, you look very concerned. A bunch of pure lie on another character's hand. And what happens? you remember what happens to his hand? It's like bubbling and like burning. It's disgusting. Yeah. Sorry for the graphic example. But that shows how intense this is. This isn't just like OxyClean like out the stain. This is burning the stains off. Okay? This is like scorching the stains with this strong lye laundry soap. Because that's what it takes for the Levites to be cleansed. And that's what it takes for us to be cleansed, right? Because we are so deeply infected with sin that it takes that degree of cleaning to burn it away. So how, how, how is it that God cleanses? He, he describes, the, the passage describes the Messiah here as the messenger or the angel of the covenant. The guardian of the covenant, Okay, so, so this means judgment and purification will come, but they're going to come through proclaiming and keeping the covenant that God has already made with Israel. God doesn't go back on that. God keeps his covenant. This is a messenger who's carrying out that covenant, bringing that message. Because God holds to his promises, the judgment and purification will, be, will, will abide by the covenant that God has made to bless Israel, and then Israel will what? Bless the world. Israel's meant to bless the world. So that's our clue as to how we prepare for our purification. It's by practicing justice. Okay, we are descendants through Jesus of God's covenant to Israel. So, therefore, God blesses the church. The church blesses the world. 
right? The church blesses the world. The purpose of God cleansing the Levites is laid out in verse 4. He says, then, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. But the, the, following, uh, the following verse, the connection here, is really important. Basically, in verse 5, God talks about justice, He's going to be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Okay, so the connection here between verses 4 and 5 is really important. It's that righteous offerings include justice. Righteous offerings include justice. There's no way to offer righteous offerings if injustice is prevailing in the land. There is no way to offer righteous offerings if injustice prevails in the land. And on this side of the cross, we are a cleansed people through Jesus' blood, right? Amen? We are, we are cleansed through Jesus. But we prepare for Jesus' second coming by practicing justice. We demonstrate to this world and bless the world by showing them what God's mercy and God's justice look like amidst the brokenness not, not sort of being blind to it, but in the midst of the brokenness that we see in this world. So I'm going to give you a couple of practical examples of how we can practice justice that are connected to our church directly. Uh, first is um, to get involved with New Community Outreach. If, if you don't know what that is, NCO is our church's nonprofit. Um, it's sprung out of our church, um, but they do a lot of great work with youth in Bronzeville in our neighborhood through restorative justice practices. I was actually just at a meeting yesterday uh, with some of the, the youth, and it's just amazing to, to just see. It's, like, it's simple, right? But it's just so good to kind of see the impact that NCO is having on these kids. And, and the ministry is growing. So if you're interested in, I'm sure they could always use more volunteers in various capacities. So if you're interested, I don't think Sonia's here today, but find Sonia or, or Pete. Pete's in the back there. Um, find Pete and you can um, get more information about how to get involved with NCO. The other thing we're doing that's really exciting is for the first time in our church, we're sending a missions team to Ecuador. Uh, over spring break. And Pete's actually leading that team too. Um, and so you can find him. This is a great way to practice justice outside of the borders of our country. Now, I've named Pete twice now. Clearly, he is practicing justice very well. So we just do what Pete does, and I think we'll be, we'll be in good shape. All right. But, but we can also practice justice in our everyday lives, right? It's not just about these episodic things that we do, but it's, it's about how we live every day. Get to know the issues in your neighborhood, uh, if, if there's like a neighborhood uh, newspaper, maybe just pick one of those up. They tend to be like weeklies, right? Just to see what's going on in your neighborhood. Uh, Block Club is a great resource for finding out what's going on in different neighborhoods. Um, talk to your actual neighbors. That, that's also helpful to literally talk to your neighbors, find out what's going on in their lives. Uh, attend meetings that are going on in the neighborhood as well, just to know what's happening, how you can be praying, how you can be a force of justice very specifically in your neighborhood. A couple more examples I want to give you, because I think these are really important. And, and that, the, the list in Malachi 3.5, I think, points us to how we can still be uh, practicing justice in our context. We can be good to our employees. And I think this is really important, because most of us spend a lot of our time, if you, if you have like a full-time job, you're spending a good chunk of your time at work, right? Like you're working and you're sleeping. Those are like the biggest things you're probably doing. So if you have influence in your workplaces, be good to your employees. That's significant advocate for fair wages, good benefits, a work culture that's healthy and will allow people time off. 
taking care of your employees is so important. So if you have any sort of authority or you can exercise some authority in that regard, I would highly encourage you to do that as an amazingly, not easy, but simple way to practice justice. Also, if you're part of a condo association, having left a condo association recently and, and some of the issues that, that come about with that, promoting fair and, and humanizing policies for like renters and owners, sometimes that makes a big difference. Just treating people like human beings goes a long way, especially with, with the, the market, the climate we're in right now with, with being people, people being priced out and evicted. You know, we can go a long way in helping people out and practicing justice. Again, in these, I think, fairly simple but very, very impactful ways. Because practicing justice can be big. It can be this national stuff, right? And we do need to show up for that. But it's mostly about daily living, I would say. Right? You're not going to be able to show up for the big stuff if, you're, if your day-to-day is, is out of step with that. It's going to be really hard. You're always going to feel like you're like, having to like, you know, refigure it out. And, and, and it's also just paying attention to who God's placed around you. And then, again, working toward your neighbor's literal good. So we prepare ourselves for the purification of Jesus' return by practicing justice today. What I want you to remember is, is that God's cleansing the Levites, right? He's cleansing the Levites. And we, we have a direct connection to the Levites as the priestly tribe. They're the priestly tribe. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 say, But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him uh, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life, light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Sisters and brothers, we are the royal priesthood. We are the royal priesthood. The church is the holy nation. Therefore, when Malachi talks about God judging and purifying the Levites, that's also us. That's us. The church is the mediator between God and the unbelieving world to proclaim who God is and what he's all about. Now, some parts of the body have been doing this better than others for a long time and know, some parts of the body know that we're the royal priesthood and been witnessing for a long time. Uh, In the, the church chapter of the 1619 Project, Professor Anthea Butler outlined how the black church has been and remains the prophetic voice of condemnation of America's ills. The prophetic voice of condemnation of America's ills. This is the almost now 400-year tradition of black preachers speaking truth to power from pulpits, political office, and all corners of public discourse. Now, the, the black church isn't perfect, but... We do need to follow their example in this particular regard of waiting on Jesus' return. We need to find, continue to find, I would say, our prophetic voice, either condemning America's ills or culture's ills, on and on, right? We do this by preparing for Jesus' return this Advent season. We prepare ourselves for the coming judgment by honoring and respecting God and giving him his due in our worship and by practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit, remembering that God's always with us, listening to the Spirit's nudges. And we prepare ourselves for the coming purification by practicing justice and showing the world God's love for them to our literal neighbors. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your mercy, even in, just, uh, in judgment. God, that you, you don't just spring up, you, you, you warn 
and you give grace. You send messengers and messengers and messengers uh, before Jesus. And now, after the cross, you are reminding us of who we are as your people, that we, in fact, should be your messengers to the world, saying, Jesus is coming back. And you may not like it when he comes back, but not in like a judgmental way. We're not going to do that. We're going to say, look at our God. Look at our God who comes to wash away the sins of the world, who comes to make all things right and make all things new. And so God, give us, give us the courage, give us the, the patience, give us the time to stop and room to be that kind of witness to our neighbors. Help us to be thankful that you've cleansed us mightily and, and, and carefully and beautifully. And you're equipping us for works of justice. You're equipping us to love in ways that this world simply cannot. And so therefore, we'll take the world by surprise and we'll, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll stand out for sure. So God, make us that kind of people who, who, who can be bold for you. Bold as we wait, as we wait for you. That doesn't mean we just sit back on our hands. No, it means that we... We're mobilized into action by the Holy Spirit. So nudge us, God. Nudge us. Push us. Whatever it takes for us to wake up and be your people the way that you want us to be. Lord God, mobilize your church. And I pray, God, as we come to the communion table this morning, anything that needs to be cleansed in our hearts, Lord, bring that to mind for us. Bring that up in our hearts. The things maybe we've been ignoring, the things that we've been suppressing, Lord. Help us to come to you knowing that there's no shame for this table, God, that we can bring anything before you and you will forgive and you will cleanse and you will then equip us. So God, help us to practice our unity well in this communion. Bless this table. Bless the elements as we, as we partake together, Lord. So we thank you, God, for the ways you knit your church together, the ways that you uh, um, equip your church, you love your church to do your work and your will. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.